0: Good day, everyone, and welcome to the December OPEC meeting. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, you will have the opportunity to ask questions during our question and answer session. You may register to ask a question at any time by pressing the star and one on your touchtone phone. You may withdraw yourself from the queue by pressing the pound key. Please note this call may be recorded, and I will be standing by if you should need any assistance. The information and views conveyed by Energy Intelligence on this call shall not be considered as advice, recommendation, representation, or endorsement and should not be relied on in connection with any business or investment decision. Any use of such information by any person or organization is at such person's or organization's sole risk. It is now my pleasure to turn your meeting over to Mr. Tom Wallen. Please go ahead.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to our November virtual roundtable discussion. Uh, my name's Tom Wallen. I'm the editor-in-chief here at Energy Intelligence, and our topic today is um, well, what to expect from the December OPEC meeting. With me, I have two uh, of our reporters with uh, long experience covering OPEC and OPEC meetings, um, and they they both, I think, have... Uh, showing that they can identify the sort of key drivers that are um, uh, affecting the organization and um, also have, have a good uh, track record of, at projecting the direction uh, and outcome of these meetings. Um, in London, we have Alex Schindler, who's uh, our news editor for Eastern Hemisphere and the team leader for East coverage at Energy Intelligence. And um, here with me in New York, we have John Van Vanshake, who's the New York bureau chief and also the team leader for oil markets. Um, the meeting's coming up here on a on, uh, couple weeks, December 4th, in Vienna, and um, I want to start the questions out with, uh, with one for John. Um, uh, John, as we know, uh, OPEC's market share policy uh, and its challenge to high-cost producers is just about a year old now. Uh, it's been described as an experiment and uh, a price discovery process. How, su- how successful has the policy been so far, John?
2: Yeah. <clears throat> Good question. Uh, welcome, everybody. Um, well, there's, there's different ways of, of measuring success, of course, but let's stick to the OPEC policy, the Saudi policy. Uh, they had two objectives. The, the first was to stimulate demand in the global economy. And you see that lower prices are really supporting uh, global oil demand. We, we see it in the U.S., we see it in India, we see it in China. <clears throat> and uh, new data just just in, uh, we, we're again revising up our global demand growth forecast for 2015, and we are now at a staggering growth of 2.2 million barrels a day on the year. And that was probably what Saudi oil minister uh, Ali Naimi was referring to when he just recently said that, that, um, you know, the policy is is really having an impact. So that's the demand side. On the production side, uh, the progress is is pretty slow. Um, Just to remind ourselves, you know, OPEC's goal is to replace the high-cost non-OPEC oil with the low-cost OPEC oil, and that should result in more market share for OPEC. Well, it will get there, but it will take time. Because as, it, as we've seen, it turns out that non-OPEC suppliers are pretty resilient to lower prices. Uh, but the impact is being felt, in particular in uh, the U.S. by U.S. shale producers. The question is how much, and we will see that in the coming months. So in all, uh, the demand part is very successful. The, sl- the supply part is, is slowing coming, but it's getting more visible.
3: Okay.
1: Uh, Alex, what... Um, you know, Saudi Arabia, as John said, has been the force, you know, behind this market share policy. How likely is Saudi Arabia to stick with this policy at the December meeting, and and why is that? Um, is the outcome of this meeting a foregone conclusion, as everyone seems to be saying?
3: Thanks, Tom. Um, well, I think this is one of the cases where uh, what is the sort of mainstream view, at least in our view, seems to be likely what's going to happen. Um, you know, like John said, you know we're sort of seeing that you know the, we're reading the Saudi signals, and they're they're basically have stepped up their communication ahead of this meeting, saying that uh they see this strategy working um even though I think everyone sees that the impact on supply as John mentioned has a bit been a bit slower than uh, the Saudis expected last year, if you look at what they were thinking about last year versus uh what actually happened during 2015 um, i think they along with a lot of other people were surprised at how resilient sort of non opec supply has been but uh you know we've heard at least from three different uh sources that uh have said you know from the saudi delegation that have said that they think the strategy is working and and they see um, a, a greater balance coming up in, in the first quarter of 2016 now whether or not this is actually true or uh, that's just their, their message. It doesn't really matter. It, uh, it, it means that they are still committed to uh, keeping the strategy in place. So um, if we believe that the Saudis are committed, then, uh, then I think uh, it's pretty clear that OPEC has to sort of reluctantly be committed, even the ones that don't necessarily um, agree 100% with this policy, because whether you like it or not, uh, no cut or no policy action is, is effective without the Saudis participating. So at the moment, you know, they have the sort of trump card to play whenever they want to, and, you know, we've tried to look pretty carefully to see if there's any uh, sense of a surprise, but uh, we haven't really been able to detect one. And even the members that are, you know, not totally on board with this policy or the ones that are hostile to it, we even see a sort of resignation in, in the way that they're approaching this meeting that they also don't see much changing and, and I'm talking, you know, uh, about Iran, who, who has, the, the Iranian oil Minister has said a few times that he doesn't see much, um, much prospects for change. So, so I think, you know, to be boring and non-controversial, it looks like uh, we're at least heading for a, a, another continuation of the policy, which is keeping uh, production at 30 million barrels a day.
1: Hey, thanks, Alex. Um, John, what do you think? I mean, is it is it possible for those in the group that want higher oil prices to oppose the market share policy? I'm thinking of the, you know, Lat- some of the Latin American and African members. I mean, can they mount a credible challenge to Saudi Arabia, and what would it look like?
2: Yeah, as Alex said, um,
1: you know, if the Saudis are not on board, nothing will
2: happen. But it is good to, to look at what they're looking at and, and what they're thinking is. Uh, So we we see these these countries that are very unhappy with the market share uh, policy like Venezuela, Ecuador, Algeria, Libya, and and in a way also Nigeria and Angola. They're kind of uh, looking at it and, and say like, okay, so what can we do? To, to kind of break the, <clears throat> the, the the Saudi hold on this policy. Well, the point is, of course, you know, how effective can they be and what would they put in place? Well, Venezuela has come up with this plan to go back to a system where OPEC would defend uh, a price ban, and Venezuela says, you know, $70 is a good floor. Um, and that alternative, you know, seems to get some, some traction amongst the countries that are opposing uh, the strategy. But... Uh, as Alex said, you know, for that strategy to work, OPEC would would uh, uh, need to cut output, and as the Saudis said, we would need to get support from non-OPEC producers, and those two requirements are simply not. Being supported, uh, we've seen the, the, the recent meeting: Russia, Brazil, Mexico. Uh, there were some other non-OPEC producers. They they were in Vienna talking about helping out OPEC. Um, that came all to nothing, and uh, with the Saudis saying we stayed the course, um, you can expect that indeed. A, a, a rollover as they call it at, uh, at the current meeting. Uh, 30 million barrels a day output effectively closer to 32 and we can expect that to stay there for a while.
1: Okay, thanks. So, so Alex, what, what do you think it would take for the Saudis to, to change their strategy to, 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 to I mean they, they seem to hold, as you said, the Trump card. What, what would it take for them to, 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 to move away from this mar- market share strategy?
3: Well, I think I think it's going to be pretty difficult to pry them away from the strategy. Um, I, I can see a few ways it could happen, and uh, people will have different views about whether uh, these things are actually possible, but but these are things that I think could uh, change the dynamics a bit. First of all is is the sort of support from non-OPEC, and this is what the Saudis have been saying all along. They're not going to cut by themselves. Uh, you know, they require uh contributions from non-opec which are which were the ones that created the oversupply so they should be the ones that help rectify it why should opec be the ones that sort of deal with the sort of rapid ramp up of non-opec supply now um you know whether that's rhetoric or actually uh you know a deeply held belief i guess is up to interpretation but um, i think that if non-opec would come up with a credible um, cut plan uh, that involves major non-OPEC producers, which include the likes of Russia and potentially others, um, then potentially the Saudis might think about it. And, you know, why do I say that? Well, I mean, they showed up to that meeting last uh, November with the Venezuelans and the Mexicans and the Russians. And, you know, by all accounts, they listened to what they had to say. And, you know, when that meeting was over, I mean, when that meeting failed was was when, uh, you know, Igor Sechin of Rosneft... um, open the meeting or or when it was her his turn to speak started saying you know giving all the reasons why Russia couldn't cut. So at that point that you know as far as the Saudis were concerned the meeting was over because they came to see what they were actually get proposed. So I don't think it's sort of a a uh, opposition to cutting in any circumstance. I I think they might consider it, but they need a credible cut now the question is can you get a credible cut from non-OPEC? I think very 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 unlikely, I think everything we've heard out of Russia uh Indicates that the Russians are not interested and not willing, and and and, a, and the big elephant in the room is the U.S. and and I think you know if the Russian cut is unlikely, a a cut in U.S. production is you know impossible. You can sort of not even consider that as as a real scenario. There's no way to get uh, U.S. Uh, you know all the U.S. producers to agree to sort of pull back production on you know on purpose. So I so I think in in that case. Uh, you know, it, it would be a tall order but it would be possible. Um another way I think uh they would consider it is if there was a massive collapse in oil price. Um we know you know Ali Naimi, the Saudi oil minister said that even if prices went down to twenty dollars they wouldn't change their policy. Uh you know, okay, fine, that's what he said. I wonder though if things were that bad whether you'd start seeing sort of intervention from the uh from the higher you know, from the royal family and from the king. Uh because at the end of the day, yes, uh, you know, the policy is driven by the Ministry of Petroleum, and they've and they and they've gotten it pushed through. Um, you know, the king has a final call, and, and his and his sort of view on these things, and he doesn't get involved very often if, you know, very, very, very rarely, but if he says, look, we're doing this, and we're, cha- we're changing tax, then they'd have to change tax. So, a collapse in oil price that would say, like, your policy's not working and it's really hurting us. Um, or um, uh, you know, an economic uh, emergency in Saudi Arabia or some other political pressure that gets put on Saudi Arabia to make a change, then, then you could see another sort of uh, change in policy. And then, of course, you know, if, if there's more balance returning to the market, and, and I think it's not impossible, you know, this policy the Saudis are pursuing is not forever. So if, if there's a more balanced market that sort of starts emerging, then, you know, they could pot- potentially think of, you know, a, a, a different way of, uh, of proceeding. Um, so, I mean, I, I, think, I think all of those are long shots. Uh, and I have to stress that, but uh, it isn't like they're married to this policy, you know, and there's no way they're ever changing it.
1: But none of these, none of these long shot things you just sketched out um, are things that we see as imminent uh, in the next two weeks, right? I mean, that's basically the, uh, the
3: the bottom line, right? Yeah, almost almost impossible. I mean, I I, I think you, it would take a miraculous sort of uh, non OPEC proposal that, uh, that Venezuela would have had to be working on secretly to actually. Uh, you know, have something that we can actually say is possible. So, yeah, no, I think, you know, as you point out, there's not really, uh, there's almost zero chance that they're going to have a miraculous sort of pull something out of their hat and uh, have an alternative proposal that is better than that the Saudis think is better than the current one.
1: Okay, thanks. Well, let's look a little bit at, at 2016, and this is a question for both of you. Um, with Iran emerging from sanctions, how does that change the prospects for OPEC and the oil market? next year. Do you want to start off, John, with that? Yeah.
2: Well, I suppose the short answer is, you know, a return of Iran will make it harder to balance the market because there will be more oil coming to the market. And, you know, if if Iran indeed returns sometime around the end of the first quarter of 2016, which we You know seem to be thinking that could be the time that the sanctions are are being lifted um that oil will come to a market that then already has a major surplus if you know opec sticks to its current output which is as i said close to 32 million barrels a day we think that during the first half of sixteen we can we can see a surplus of of some two million barrels a day, close to two million barrels a day. Okay. Any additional oil from Iran will only add to that and <clears throat> um, you know and and we can count on on the oil uh, to be coming. We don't know exactly how much, but, but Zanganeh, to uh, the Iranian oil minister, just this week said, you know, his country will start selling more oil regardless of the price and regardless of the market surplus. It's a right for us to return to markets. That's what what he said. So <clears throat> the question is, you know, will will other OPEC uh, supplies such as Saudi Arabia move over? Well, early indications are that. The uh, Saudis won't. I mean, they're trying to defend their market share ahead of a of a uh, Iranian return. We've <coughs> seen relatively soft Saudi formula prices for uh, Asia and for Europe in recent months, and, uh, and and those are of course Iran's uh, key markets. Uh, and we've seen Saudi now also aggressively selling into Poland. Um, which was uh, uh, looking at, at, of course, Russian oil, but Poland was also looking at Iranian uh, oil. So <coughs> in the bigger picture, um, Iranian oil coming back to market fits the OPEC strategy to have you know, cheap OPEC oil <coughs> uh, regain market share. Uh, in the shorter term, it will potentially depress prices unless you know, the Saudis move over just a little bit to accommodate a little but the indications are they're not doing that at the moment.
3: Okay. Okay.
1: And Alex, what do you think, uh, especially in terms of uh, uh, the Iranians' capabilities and so forth to bring this oil um, out?
3: What, well, when we look at the when we look at the field, let, let's frame the argument at, at least how how it's being outlined. I mean, the Iranians have said they'll bring 500,000 barrels a day online immediately after sanctions are uh, lifted. And then they say they'll bring another 500,000 barrels a day within 12 months. So we're talking, at least from the Iranians' point of view, of a million barrels a day that they hope to bring on, you know, between uh, March 2016 and uh, you know March 2017, something like that. I think I think they'd like to get the full million on, on the market by the end of by the end of 2016 if they possibly could. So that's what they say. Um, you, we have. You know, the Saudis, if you ask them sort of, uh, you know, privately what they think, is their, their aim, they think more likely 300,000 barrels a day for the year, for 2016. Um, at, least, at least those are the indications that we're getting. So, you know, Saudis always, I mean, I, I think it's worth pointing out, Saudis are always fairly pessimistic on supply and, and always optimistic on demand. Uh, so they, they think demand will always surprise the upside and supply will always disappoint to the downside. So I don't think that's any knock against Iran, I think they just are, you know, that's how they're programmed, and over the years, you know, they, they've seen that play out fairly regularly, that people say they're going to produce something, but it's often a lot less, because unforeseen things pop up, you, you never know. So the Saudis think 300,000 barrels a day for the year, and you know, independent analysts think something around 500,000 barrels a day for the year is, is potentially possible. I, I think you know, by, if you look at the fields and look at, look at a few drivers, I think 500,000 barrels a day uh, definitely is very doable, and I think they can do that fairly quickly. And, and this is why I think that's possible. I mean, they've had a year, basically since they signed that initial agreement back um, in, in the spring of this year, uh, to say they're bringing the oil back on market. So you, you have a huge head start about bringing these fields back online. You, and your NIOC, which is a reasonably accomplished oil company that knows how to manage manage these fields, they've been doing it for a long time, and uh, they've had a huge head start doing whatever they need to do to make sure they're ready for when sanctions are lifted. And what we're talking about here is oil that they were producing previously. These are fields that were producing before, and you may have questions about declines and the performance of these fields over the years they haven't been producing, but as we 've seen in places like Libya, production bounces back pretty quickly, and um you you can make a pretty good case that um you know the Iranian fields, which were sort of uh, uniformly reduced um this is what the Iranians say uniformly reduced across multiple different fields to sort of bring them kind of down a, a bit below what what they're producing after the sanctions came in in two thousand and twelve um and so, so by doing that, you, you're also, you know, implementing good reservoirs, sort of uh, best practices. So they, they knew this was happening. This is oil they have been producing before. And so because of those reasons, I think it's quite likely that 500,000, when they say it's quickly coming on after sanctions, I think it's, it's quite likely. And the next 500,000, I don't doubt as much the technical capabilities. I, I, I question more the marketing capabilities and if we're talking about the surplus that John is not talking about, then you know, th- then it's going to be difficult to sell those barrels potentially. So that may be the sort of bottleneck in the second half of the year if the market remains as oversupplied as it will be in the first half.
1: Okay, thanks. Um, this is sort of a uh, kind of a, b- a bigger long-term question, if you will. It sort of goes back to where we started, uh, John. This is for you. Um, um, will you know? W- looking out, sort of without it, with, without a kind of time uh, constraint. Um, will the OPEC market share strategy strategy succeed, uh, and how long will that take? Yeah.
2: Well, this, there's a, a lot of moving parts there, um, <clears throat> but I, I think you know if if you break it down, if and, and if OPEC is sticking to its guns, you know, of pushing its own cheaper oil. <coughs> and pushing it really hard, we can be in for a very interesting couple of years. And and, and why? So on on the one hand we have <coughs> indeed non OPEC producers killing a whole bundle of expensive projects, uh that would have given the world a, a couple of million barrels a day of, of supply over the years. Uh and we now think, oh, gee, you know, we might be running short in 2018. But that is all very expensive oil, and, and these non-OPEC producers are are now all concentrating on, on simpler projects that give them more bang for their buck, and they see costs down 25%. So <clears throat> it's, very, it's still very un- unclear how this this all will pan out. The, the impact of the lower capex uh, of these companies might be less dramatic than than we now think. So th- that's one. Then we have, <clears throat> of course, a, a bunch of large non-OPEC companies that have, have said that they continue drilling, uh, but not will the, uh, not will bring the, the wells online in the market with, with low oil prices. Has said that, and Adarco, Occidental, uh, BP, and and they say, you know, they're lining up their wells for the moment that the market recovers. So we, we're kind of seeing... That they are doing exactly what OPEC wants them to do, and that is that the price is balancing uh, the market. So then we see OPEC itself uh, producing uh, uh, more and adding capacity. Not so much in Latin America, not so much in Africa, but certainly in the Middle East. Uh, Iran, case in point. UAE, Kuwait, uh, Iraq, although stagnating now. <coughs> excuse me. They they all might be adding and. <clears throat> Look at the Saudis. They have a record number of railing drakes uh, currently operating. They have denied that they are adding to capacity. But <clears throat> if you speak to the services uh, companies there, they say, well, you know, they might actually be adding some capacity. And, you know, if the Saudis would be true the, to their policy, that is exactly what they would be doing. Because, uh, you know, the Saudi have said in the past they can be going to 15 billion barrels a day. So. Why would they not be doing that now? That would make complete sense. Um, and they might get there in three years, they've said in the past. <clears throat> if they are working on that, that might be a, a very interesting uh, card that they have on their sleeve. Right. So then, of course, <clears throat> talking about oil, we've, uh, uh, Iran coming to market, as, as Alex said, could be anything over 500,000. Then we have demand. Yes, we see a tremendous demand impact from the lower oil prices. <clears throat> that will, you know, definitely have an impact in, in year one and year two. <clears throat> but further down the line, you know, what's going to happen to demand? Um, we <clears throat> we we might go back to the more uh, familiar one million uh, barrel a day growth pattern. Uh, after all, we've we've got stocks coming up the environment will start playing a bigger role we've got government policies on efficiencies we've got all kind of technological advances that are (coughs) about to hit the market and so that can all negatively impact uh, demand growth and lastly we have this bunch of inventories to work on Um, not as much as as we might might think because you know a lot of the surplus in, in the past year or so went into China's SPR India's SPR Also into Chinese uh, commercial stocks, because companies were told uh, that they needed to meet higher uh, mandated stock requirements. Um, So not so much from there. They're in the tanks. They won't come out. But if we just focus on the OECD, uh, we've seen over the past year or so forward demand cover up five days, and that's roughly 220 million barrels. If you want to work that off in one year, that's 600,000. Barrels a day of of stock draws. So there's a lot of moving parts on the demand side and on the supply side. Uh, throw it in the mix, and I think you might see a rebalancing that might take a few years. Um, but you know, uh, the, the bottom line is the the strategy is is creating space for cheaper OPEC oil, and and that is I think you know uh, exactly what what the Saudis had in mind when they started this whole exercise.
1: But at the cost of much lower prices, so and, there's and lo- extended period of low prices, exactly as, as lower come. for longer. Yeah. yeah. Um, Alex, do you have any comments on that? Do you want to add anything?
3: I, I would just say on the inventory point. I think if you if you really ask, if you really get down to sort of you know the the, the core questions in OPEC. Um, about those that are really dealing with uh... look taking a long-term view about will this policy work and forgetting about the ones that sort of have a knee-jerk reaction this policy is not the right one there there is a disagreement about this inventories question and um, the the saudis for their part really don't think that this is going to be a massive uh... drag on oil prices and, and that, that's been something they've, they've tried to express that you know it's not a problem per se that those inventories are there. Um, if you talk to others that are sort of looking at this, they're quite concerned about that overhang and the downward pressure that kind of puts on prices. So I think the inventory question, you know, is is it is it going to be something that can be? Uh, I, I think it can't be it can't be worked off in the short term. I think most people realize that. The question is, is it going to be a problem for prices going forward? And, um, you know, there's, there's a differing view on that, about, about, about how, uh, how much that's going to weigh on oil prices. So I, I think that's what I'd say about that, you know, specifically on, on what John said. Otherwise, you know, generally, um, you know, I, I think I agree with a lot of what he said.
1: Okay, interesting point. Um, I, I think it's time now to, to open, you know, open up the discussion to the audience. And um, uh, if the moderator could come back and just help us with that.
0: Absolutely. At this time, if you would like to ask a question, please press the star and one on your touchtone telephone. You may withdraw your question any time by pressing the pound key. And once again, to ask a question, please press the star and one on your touchtone phone. We'll first go to Troni Jr. with Chevron. Your line is open.
1: Hey, thank you. I kind of wonder what's the potential for an OPEC disruption if uh, the market share policy affects the 12 member state bottom line? Is that a possibility? Sorry, could you just repeat the question? It was about an, uh, a disruption, you said? Supply disruption, sorry? Absolutely. Not the supply, but really the states going al- alone rather than remain as an OPEC member state. You want to take that, John? Yeah. Um, <coughs> you know, the, the possibility
2: of an OPEC split is also kind of is always kind of lurking in the background. Uh, the, the problem is, if <coughs> you have Saudi as the, the, the de facto um, heavyweight within OPEC, um, any organization without Saudi available is is has, doesn't have the weight that that OPEC would have. And in fact, if the Saudis would be on your bad side, um, <coughs> that would not necessarily help any alternative to uh, to OPEC. Um, there has been, you know, thought that uh, any, you know, a, a split within OPEC with Russia joining uh, a bunch of the <coughs> the, the, the non-Mideast producers would be able to to be a considerable vo- uh, 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 force. Uh, Particularly, because the Russians of course, have, have you know, like the Saudis ten million dollars a day output um, but the Russians are not willing to play that role they of swing producer the Russians are not willing to um, uh, to to keep a lot of spare capacity and invest a lot of money in that um, hmm. so it 's very tempting to think, and there's always very, uh, there's always a lot of disagreement with an OPEC. Um, the reason they've stuck it out for 50 years, uh, 60 years now, nearly, with, <coughs> with uh, you know all these disagreements within the same
1: family is because there's, I think, there's no alternative. Okay, thanks. Do we have do we have other questions from the audience?
0: Yes, and as a reminder, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star one. We will go next to Colin Smith with Panmure Gordon. Your line's open
4: yeah hi gentlemen. Um, I wondered if you'd heard anything as it were within OPEC about whether or not there might be agreement to cut if other members were willing to participate because at the moment, basically pretty much every member of OPEC that's shouting the loudest for cuts is basically expecting Saudi to do the cutting and I think it's worthwhile remembering the context here I mean I do think there was a really significant change in OPEC policy last November, really from the one that took place after things have settled down post-1986. And Saudi Arabia didn't just move to a market share policy, which, by the way, is actually obviously going to work from next year, since there is no non-OPEC growth, maybe non-OPEC decline, but it actually puts 750,000 barrels a day of extra oil onto the market at the beginning of the year.
1: Alex, do you want to take that?
3: Sure. Well, I, I think, you know, I... I think the problem is is that um, you. Know, you it, it would be hard to see um, countries like Iran and Iraq signing up to cutting, and you're asking whether you've heard that they're that they're interested in this. I know that they've talked about it because there there is a understand some countries. Think even if you go along with the strategy, they think eventually you're going to have to cut once the market gets a bit more into balance, and that is one school of thought that that is in OPEC. And the other one, is, and and this is besides the ones that just say that the strategy is is stupid, we're not going to go along with it. And the other one is sort of the, the Saudi Gulf one that says you know we're going to stick this out so the market actually comes back into balance, and there's no sort of you know horizon that we are going to cut. But but if, if we consider the the, the proposal that um, you know, there, there could be a cut at some point. You have to think about who really can contribute. And, and I think when, when we think about this, we come back to the same point. You've got one third to one quarter of the group that really can't agree to it. And I'm talking about Libya. You know, I'm talking about Iraq. I'm talking about Iran. I mean, th- those countries just—it it would be very difficult for them to turn around and say they're going to cut production. But first of all, they'd have to back down from what they've been saying for a while. Um, so if you take them out of the equation, what do you have left? You have the Gulf producers that say they're not going to do it by themselves, and then you look around and what else do you have? You have Venezuela, you have Algeria, uh, and you have the African producers, uh, you know, Angola and Nigeria. And, and, and there's just the history of uh, non-performance on these cuts means that the sort of burden of sort of uh, credibility is much higher, particularly since the Saudis hold all the cards. So they're going to look at this and say, you know, it really has to be a a complete slam dunk for them to agree to any sort of cut. And and I think it's very difficult, given the dynamics of the group right now, to figure out how anyone can put a cut on the table that actually makes sense that isn't going to be disproportionately uh, handled by by the Gulf countries.
4: Right. Although the Gulf, the Gulf countries always were going to disproportionately handle it because they provided disproportionate amount to the market. I mean, the thing is that OPEC in the past, including the likes of Iran, have contributed the cuts. Two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, ninety eight, ninety nine. Um, and in fact, if you look at the balance for next year, if OPEC were to say we've won, we've regained market share. Up the uh, target to 31 million barrels a day and provide a credible view about how they take the extra half a million barrels a day off, which is not that much split around them, then it's probably worth 10, 15, 20 dollars in the oil price. I mean, the reason cartels work is because there's a disproportionate impact on price relative to volume, as they have demonstrated on a number of occasions in, the, in their history, many occasions in fact.
3: I mean, yeah, so no, you you're right, you're absolutely right. And I, I mean I guess the question would be would Iran contribute this at this time? And and, and you're and they have contributed before and they've done what they've said they're gonna do unlike some of the others. But I mean you really have to ask the question this time around, coming out of sanctions, uh, with their ambitions to raise you know, add another million barrels a day to the market, do you really think that Iran's regime is going to buy the argument they have to cut production?
4: Um, Yep, and I'm saying the economics might support it. I agree with your rhetoric, but I think it also depends whether they really can add a million barrels a day. I'd I'd be more in the camp that thinks that they're producing pretty much as much as they can, um, given the time they've had to adopt to the former banking sanctions, which put pressure on them, and their production was in decline before those sanctions even came into place. I also think we'll probably find that it takes quite a lot longer than the first quarter for sanctions to get lifted because the Iranian parliament only recently endorsed the prior actions that need to take place under the the, um, joint plan of action. Um, So all of the things they need to do with respect to their uh, nuclear industry in terms of removing centrifuges, downblending their enriched uranium and so on and so forth, um, there's a a lot of mechanical work has to take place before... uh, they can be certified as being in compliance with the prior conditions that would allow sanctions to be lifted.
1: Okay, thanks. Well, Alex, did you want to comment on that further, or should we go to to another question?
3: Well, I, I, th- I think those are all good points. I'll, I'll say, you know, briefly, you know, the um, I think, Colin, you were on the call on the nuclear sanctions, and you probably should take this up with, uh, with Stephanie on the, on the timetable of when it's going to be lifted. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, it, it's, that's the other part of it we didn't quite discuss is, you know, can the Iranians deliver? And that, um, uh, that is a bit more murky and probably something that uh, you and Stephanie debate.
0: And next we'll take a question from Ali Rio Paro with CNBC. Your line is open.
3: Uh, Hello,
2: Um, I see you were very clear on the demand side for 2015, but after that you totally shut off. What are your views on demand 2016 going on to 2017, and what does this mean for the rebalancing of the equation? Yeah, Alirio, it's uh, it's John in, in New York. Um, for for 2016, we see a drop off in demand growth to 1.4 million barrels a day. Um, it might have uh, uh, upside potential um, since we we have been uh, too low on on the 15 projection. Um, you know, we we started uh, <clears throat> at at a million one, and, and we're now double at at 2.2. The, the lower prices have an impact. The question is how much will these lower prices, uh, once the consumers are used to it, how much will they uh, work through in the future? (coughs) 1.4 for um, uh, 2016 and less for 2017, closer to 1.1, 1.2 million barrels a day. Um, So I (coughs) I think that uh, the 1.4 next year, the 2.2 this year, combined 3.6 million barrels a day definitely helps the rebalancing process. Um, obviously, it is a uh, uh, nearly tripling of the, of the growth in, in 14, uh, when we only saw uh, six, seven 700,000 barrels a day of, uh, of growth because of the higher prices. Um, the, the question, the, the overarching question is, what is the, the global economy going to do? Um, uh, Low prices, of course, is is one aspect of global demand growth. Uh, The other aspect is is the global economy. We see continuing uh, downgrades in the forecasts by the IMF, by the World Bank, um, by other institutions. Um, We might see interest rates go up in the U.S., not so much in in Europe and probably not in China. Um, So there's a lot of factors playing a role that might impact uh, global demand growth. Um, 1.4 for 2016, I think, is, the, is 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 a good number. Are
1: there other questions?
0: We will take our next question from Pamela Ter- Teterenko. Michelle, your
5: line is open. Oh hi! Oh, that was close. I was good. Tetarenko. I was just uh, going to. Qu- I know people are hoping OPEC might cut, but the non-OPEC producers are. Are waiting in the wings and, and could increase production again. Though, um, I mean, could they not?
2: Uh, yeah, this is, this is John. I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I'm, I'm uh, uh, more on the uh, in the camp that thinks that um, the, the majors and other producers have shown a considerable uh, ability to adjust to lower oil prices. Um, and um, you know they were already in the process of rethinking their whole strategy of huge big complex uh, projects uh, call it the Kashigan syndrome, and, and so they they were thinking like, all right, so there must be a way to do this simpler and better and mm-hmm, at lower exactly. cost. And and um, and I think this is only you know the lower price has only been speeding up the, that process. And I uh, and that was one of the points I was I was trying to make earlier uh, that I think that the lower capex uh, that we see might not actually result in so much low, uh, less. Uh, uh, output from uh, the global non-OPEC uh, suppliers. We're, we're in the process actually of, of of working through all the data of, of companies that have reported and, and looking at at other factors. Uh, we're not. We, we don't have a definitive answer for outside the U.S. Inside the U.S., we think that uh, 2016 output might end where 2015 has has ended. Based on what uh, the companies have reported so far, um, because the, the biggest the companies the companies that are really actually uh, you know pushing the needle around have have said that uh, that they might they might end up uh, flat on, on 2016. So you know I think you're right. Um, you know there is a big fear within within OPEC that the moment the price might be a little bit higher that they might again you know, subsidize non-OPEC oil production, and that's the last thing that they want to
5: do. I agree, and I would just, was just going to quickly say that I, I agree with the point that was made earlier. I think increased efficiencies, as everybody focuses on efficiencies, will have more of an impact on both supply capability as well as actual demand uh, over the longer term.
2: So working up and working
5: down, you mean? Correct. Because everybody's really, really focusing in on efficiencies uh, on both sides of the equation. It's yep. just the one other thing. Yep.
1: Okay, well, th- I think we have time for one more question, if the, if there's one out there.
0: We actually have no further questions in queue.
1: Okay, well, I, 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 it's been a very good discussion. I want to thank everybody for the questions, and, um, you know, we'll look forward to... Uh, what happens at the, at the OPEC meeting, and um, we, we are planning to have another um, virtual roundtable like this in December, so I uh, ho- hope to have some of you uh, there for that. So um, thank you, and that, that concludes our discussion for today.